Well, I am certainly thankful for America this morning. I'm thankful for the freedom. I know and I hope that you are as well because uh, there really isn't a, um, a country that really has given more of a light to the gospel and taken to the gospel to more of the world than our country. And it's just a blessing to be part of a country like that. And uh, we certainly need to continue praying uh, for our nation, praying for our country as God continues to just work in the lives of the people here in this country. I, lo- I was listening to um, Reagan, uh, Ronald Re- President Ronald Reagan uh, yesterday, some of his speeches, just kind of thinking about the 4th of July weekend. And one of his most famous speeches, he said, uh, you know, America is one of the last great hopes for the world. And, uh, and in many ways, it is true. This nation has been a beacon of hope to many countries that have been oppressed. But our greatest hope and what makes America a hopeful nation is the truth of God's word. It's the fact that we've been founded upon principles and truths that God's word teaches. And that's what makes America hopeful, not, not because our men and women are braver than other men and women from other countries. Uh, if you're going to war, you're going to war. It takes courage and bravery no matter what country you're representing. But the fact that the U.S. has stood up for biblical truth makes it different, different from any other nation. And so just be praying for our nation uh, throughout this weekend as we celebrate the liberty. Uh, let's also celebrate the fact that God has given us liberty, and that's a, the, the gospel that we want to take to others. This morning, I want to also um, uh, introduce to you this morning uh, Brother Eric Getch. He is an evangelist that uh, travels literally all around our country, uh, giving that gospel, giving and spreading the hope that America needs. And, uh, and so this week, he's actually going to be the speaker for the, the teen week at Camp Loma de Vida. He's been here before, uh, and it was funny. We, we, I picked him up last night at the airport, and uh, I thought he had only been a year. It's been two years since I had seen him. Uh, that pandemic here just kind of it feels weird. You just feel like, oh, yeah, I saw you last year, but we didn't. It's been two years. And uh, I'm so thankful for Eric and his family, his wife, Lexi, and uh, their kids. They've just been a blessing to me. They've been a friend uh, to me and my family, a friend to our ministry, not just here at church, but at camp. And, uh, and this is going to be his fourth year, I think, preaching at camp, I, somewhere around there, four or five, I don't know, something like that. Every time he's come, he has blend, uh, been a blessing. And so uh, we're so thankful for having, for having uh, him this week. And this year, because I know he's going to do, he's going to be great, and uh, God's going to just work in the lives of teenagers throughout this week. So be praying for Eric as he's preaching the gospel at camp. Be praying for the teens there, and uh, and then also, um, it's funny. Listen, we get here last night. His his flight was delayed out of Phoenix. He was flying from Phoenix. He's from Arizona, and uh, coming in, and his luggage did not make it from Houston to here. But I just thank God that he made it from here uh, because I, I, had, I did not have a message prepared for today. He was going to be our special speaker. We had already programmed him, and he texted me yesterday like at 4. He's like, uh, Jeremy, I may not make it. <laughs> and then panic started to set over me, like, what am I going to preach? What am I going to say? And so then I just started praying really hard, like, God, he's got to make that plane. Let him make the flight. And he made the flight. But uh, we, we waited on the conveyor belt last night for about 40 minutes, and then we realized his bag just isn't coming out. And uh, so from there, we had to go to Ross, and uh, it was a long night last night. Uh, and, uh, but I, I just thought it would probably be better for him not to preach, you know, Tarzan style, just to have something on. 
So uh, this morning, uh, but I know he's going to be—he's going to be a huge blessing. So, brother Eric, if you would come and share with us, let's go ahead and welcome him this morning and share with us what the Lord has laid on your heart. Oh, shirt, isn't it? And Fourth uh, of July had this one on discount, and so uh, we went with that one. I said I'll take that. So yeah, I apologize. I'm not even wearing socks this morning. They smelled a little funky from the flight. So. Anyways, but uh, it's a, it is a joy to be here, and I always love coming to uh, 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 Bethany Baptist Church. Uh, really, uh, the Mendozas have become like a, uh, an extension of our family, and uh, they, uh, they have a way of doing that, don't they? They are very hospitable and uh, uh, always show love to, to me and my, my family, and uh, so it's always a joy to be here, and I always love coming here because I'm, I'm reminded of how tall I am when I stand behind this pulpit. And uh, most pulpits meet me about here, not this one. And uh, this one was built for the Mendoza family. And so, anyways, but it is. It's a joy to be here. I'm excited about what the Lord's going to do today and also at camp this week. Would you join me in taking your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke? The Gospel of Luke, chapter number 8. The Gospel of Luke, chapter number 8. And uh, I don't want to take too much of your time today. I know this is a 4th of July uh, weekend, and so... Uh, I, I thank you for coming this morning, and I pray that you would uh, uh, listen to what the Lord would have for you from his word. The Gospel of Luke, chapter number 8. Gospel of Luke, chapter number 8. We'll pick it up in verse number 22. Verse 22. The Bible says this, Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples. And he said unto them, Let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased. And there was a calm. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the wind and the water, and they obey him. And they arrived at the country of the Gadareans, which is over against Galilee. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this uh, opportunity this morning to uh, be in your house and, Lord, to worship uh, your name and uh, to worship who you are. Lord, I thank you for the song service that just very intentionally uh, turned our mind uh, towards worshiping you and, uh, Lord, bowing before you, uh, beholding your name and, uh, Lord, uh, showing us... um, the, 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 the sacrifice and, and the redemptive work that you have done uh, so that we can have fellowship with you this morning. Lord, I pray that as we open your word, I pray that you'd uh, give me clarity of mind. I pray that you'd help me preach this morning. And Lord, I pray that you'd help uh, us listen to what you would have to say. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would uh, work amongst us, that uh, it would go with the word of God and do what the will of God would be in our heart. And we'll thank you for it. We'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The setting of this scripture is on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee lies some 680 feet below sea level. It's nestled between mountains and hills that peak at about 1,400 feet above sea level. And so given the right weather conditions, the cold air rushing down from the mountain can collide with the warm air coming up from the sea, and it would form uh, tunnels of intense wind almost instantly. Uh, Storms could erupt almost at a moment's notice on the Sea of Galilee. 
And and the storms on the Sea of Galilee are much like the storms we sometimes face in life. They're unpredictable. They're unavoidable. And they're most certainly unmistakable. The disciples have been dragged into this boat. Jesus says, we're going over to the other side. Now, by the end of this story and what happens next, we know where they're headed. They're headed to the land of the Decapolis, which was 10 cities that were made up of primarily pagan people. They were the Gentiles. As a Jewish person in those days, you didn't even say the word Decapolis. You'd refer to it as a far distant country. You'd refer to it as the other side. You just didn't go over there. And uh, when Jesus says, let's get in a boat, let's head over to the other side, the disciples are thinking, my mom doesn't want me to go to the other side. My dad would kill me if he found out I was going to this, going over to the other side. Yet nevertheless, they follow the rabbi and they get into the boat. And as they sail across the Sea of Galilee, here comes a storm. Because of course there's a storm. We're going to the pagan's We're headed to the far distant country. Of course, there's going to be a flat tire on the way. Of course, there's going to be a storm that brews. God clearly doesn't want us going over here, Jesus. Let's turn around. And yet it's going to be in this storm that Jesus is going to give them some reminders for other storms of life. And I think it's important for us to look at this morning because let's just be honest. If you're not in a storm currently, you've been in one before, and if you've not, then I'm sorry to tell you, but one's coming around the corner. That's just the way life works. And if 2020 taught us anything, it's that the storms of life are not a respecter of persons or nations. They hit everyone. They affect everyone. You've got government shutdowns and government overreach and uh, racial tension and racial division. And you've got all these things that have affected the country as a whole, But then you also look at individual storms, and you've got uh, almost a year without seeing relatives, and you've got uh, uh, mask mandates that have kept us from being personable and kept students out of school and all these other sorts of things that can be very effective personally, and that's just really generalized. I think there might even be some in this room who have faced a very specific storm this year. When I say the word that storms are unpredictable, unavoidable, unmistakable, you, you have something exactly that you think of. Uh, you, you know exactly what storm you faced this year. And it's easy when you're living in a storm to wonder why you're there. It's easy to question the sovereignty of God. It's easy to wonder where you're supposed to turn, what you're supposed to do. And so I believe this passage of scripture is important for us because it gives us some reminders about the storms of life. Would you notice three reminders that God wants to take that God wants us to remember when we go through the storms of unpredictability in our world today? Would you first of all be reminded of God's presence in the storm? Be reminded of his presence in the storm. Would you look at verse number 22 again with me? It says now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples. And he said unto them, let us go over onto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth, but as they sailed. Listen, the Bible's making it abundantly clear here. Jesus is not sending his disciples alone on this mission. No, no, no. He is going with them on this mission. He is stepping in the boat 
with them. He is going over to the other side with them. He is there. He says, let us go over as they sell, they launched forth. Uh, Listen, Jesus never promised that we were going to miss the presence of storms, but he does assure us of his presence in the storm. He tells us he's going to be right there with us. And can we just be reminded this morning that with Jesus, we are never alone. He is there. He is with us. He is present in our storms. Isaiah 43, verse number two, he tells us, when thou passest through the waters, yea, I will be with thee. And though the river shall not overflow thee, he says, I'm going to be right there by your side. I will be with you. The rivers aren't going to overflow you. There might be times you think you're drowning, but rest assured, I am there. I am there. I like what he says in Hebrews 13 and verse number five, he says, let your life not be filled with covetousness, but be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Those words paint a very vivid picture. That word, I will never leave. It has the idea of to let sink. <laughs> he says, that, that's not in my nature. I don't let my children sink. I am there to rescue you when you're in trouble. But then he says, I will not forsake you. That's actually a military term. It's the idea of to abandon in battle. And again, he says, listen, that's not my character. I am there. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I will always be by your side. And can I just encourage you this morning, church, focus on the presence of God in the storm, not the problems that seem to be mounting. Focus on the presence of God and don't lose your confidence in Christ at the first moment of chaos. At the first moment of crisis, don't lose your confidence in Christ. I think of Peter in the boat in Matthew chapter 14. This time they are sailing across the Sea of Galilee alone. And uh, they see a spirit walking on the water. It's Jesus, of course. And so Jesus says, uh, be of good cheer, it's I. And Peter, it would be Peter to think of this. Peter's always sticking his foot in his mouth, seeing if it fits. He says, Lord, if that be you... Bid me come unto thee on the water. In other words, he says, uh, can I do that? That looks really fun, you know. I want to walk on the water. And Jesus says, come. Aren't you glad the Lord delights in our stupidity sometimes? He says, yeah, Peter, you want to come out on the water? Come on. Water's nice. And so the Bible says that when Peter was come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Okay, very important phrase there at the end of the verse. He's in the boat. He steps out of the boat. Get off of me, Thomas. (laughs) He steps out of the boat, and he's walking on the water, and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Okay, so they have gotten in this boat. They're sailing across the sea to go to the land of the Decapolis, the pagan country where nobody wanted to go but Jesus, right? And Jesus, presumably before the storm starts, goes to the back of the boat, according to the Gospel of Mark, and he falls asleep on a pillow. Now, I like that picture because I like to take naps. And so every time I'm taking a nap, I just point to this passage and say, I'm just trying to be like Jesus, you know? Jesus took naps, and so I'm trying to be like him. 
I like naps. And so Jesus has gone to the back of the boat and he takes a nap. Now, if you really want to know what Jesus is doing here by resting, sure, he's showing his humanity to Christ. But do you remember a certain prophet who was sent to go tell the pagans about the gospel who went on a boat going in the wrong direction and fell asleep in the back of the boat on a pillow? His name was Jonah. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, we're doing the Jonah story this week. We're going to the pagans to tell them the gospel, and there's going to be a revival over there that you can't even imagine. So he's, he's painting that picture to his disciples as he's sleeping in the back of the boat. Well, as he's asleep, this storm breaks out. And this storm is not like any other one recorded in Scripture. It's described in Matthew, Mark, and Luke differently. They all have a different accounts of the, uh, of the passage. But Matthew calls it a great tempest. Those are the two words in the Greek, megasismos. It doesn't really matter, but I'm smart, and so I know that that's what that means. Mega means great. Seismos is a shaking of the earth. This is a massive storm that's taking place on the waters. Matthew says the waves are over the boat. Mark says the waves are beating against the boat. Luke says the waves are filling the boat. I know, you're sitting there going, well, which one is it, Brother Eric? I think it's obvious. It's all three, okay? I mean, the waves are everywhere. This storm is all over the place. And the Bible says very plainly here in, here in Luke that they were in jeopardy. So notice, this is a life-threatening storm. The disciples think this is it. And by the way, let, let's remember who's the, who, who these disciples are. The majority of them are fishermen who grew up right here on the Sea of Galilee. They would have been familiar with the storms that could have broken out. They would have had some knowledge on how to fight these storms and some experience of perhaps fighting these storms in the past. And yet on this day, they are fearing for their lives. This is it. It's over. This is the end of their life. And where's Jesus during all this? Oh, yeah, he's still asleep in the back of the boat. What? I mean, think about it. They are struggling. He's sleeping. They are restless as they fight off the waves. He is resting. They are panicked. He's at complete peace. They are in danger, screaming for their lives. And Jesus is dreaming in the back of the boat. Hey, can I just encourage you this morning? We have a God who is a storm sleeper. You say, how's that encouraging? How's that encouraging to know that when we go through life-threatening storms, don't worry, Jesus is sleeping. That doesn't sound very encouraging to me. Can I tell you why that's encouraging to me? Because if Jesus can be at peace in my storm, then I should be able to be at peace in my storm. If he's not panicked, then I shouldn't be panicked. If he is at rest, then I should be able to be able to find rest in my storm. You know, far too often, we rush through this life. And as soon as life has turbulence, we panic. As soon as there's some bumps in the journey, our lives spin into chaos. And we add more chaos to the already brewing chaos of our world. Can I just tell you, as you read through the New Testament, as you read through the, biog the, the, the biographies of Christ, if you want to call them that, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're never going to find Jesus in a panic. You're never going to find him in a rush. You will never read, and he sprinted with great rigor. Not going to be in there. It's not. Jesus walked everywhere he went. He lived at three miles an hour, 
or four, depending on how tall you think he was. He traveled everywhere he went on foot. In fact, most of the content that makes up the, the New Testament happened because of what I perceive as interruptions in Jesus's day, right? Like, just take this story, right? Jesus is going to get to the other side of the sea. A maniac is going to come out and greet him. He's demon-possessed. He's a nude, crude, lewd dude, all right? And I mean, he comes out, and he, uh, he's, he's nuts. He's cutting himself. He has terrorized the town. Jesus is going to cast out this legion of demons in him, throw them into the pigs, and then the pigs are going to rush violently down the hill and kill themselves. Okay, why is that in there? That's a little bit of a weird story, but kind of cool at the same time. And so now, then when you think of the fact that pigs are the primary export of the apocalypse, that's where they got all their money, now you can kind of understand why the whole crowd comes out in an angry mob, because the economy is just now blown, and they want Jesus out of there. So the disciples who are fixing the boat from the storm are now met with Jesus and this naked guy, well, actually, he's clothed at this point in the story, but they come to him and they go, hey, we got to leave. And the disciples are like, we just went through all of that to heal this guy? Yep. And then... The guy tries to get in the boat, and Jesus says, actually, I want you to stay here. I know we were going to do the Jonah story, but I actually want you to go be Jonah. And the only other time Jesus comes back to the Decapolis, the whole city comes out to meet him to hear what he has to say. I don't know about you, but I think that's a testimony of one man who took what Jesus told him to do seriously. So Jesus then sells back to the other side of the sea. We're told there's no storm. He gets on to the other side of the sea, and as soon as he gets there, this leader of the synagogue named Jairus comes out, and he says, Jesus, my daughter is dying. I know you can heal her. Come with me right now. And Jesus pulls out his palm pilot, and he says, I don't know if I've got time for that. I got to walk on water for some exercise. I got to feed the 5,000. I got to turn water into wine. That's going to be fun. No, 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 he doesn't do that. He doesn't have a prophetic calendar that he's going off of. Oh, he says, all right, yeah, let's go. And as they're walking, this is at the end of Luke chapter number eight. You can read it later. As they're walking to this interruption, there's another interruption, right? The whole crowd is following with them. They're pressing against him. And this woman with an issue of blood for 12 years touches the hem of Jesus's garment and is healed. And Jesus stops and goes, who touched me? And Peter's like, what do you mean who touched you? Everyone's touching you. There's no social distancing going on here. Like everyone is touching you, Jesus. And Jesus goes, no, no, no. There's somebody here that's got a story. I felt some virtue leave me. There, there's somebody who's been healed. I want to know the story. And here comes this woman. She steps up. And of course, everyone else is like, I didn't touch him. No, it wasn't me. Like, buddy, you were all over him, you know? This woman steps forth and she tells her story, how she exhausted her resources. And I can just picture as you read it, you can kind of sense the slow clap building. You know, they're like, yeah, this is awesome. That's great, except for, the, for, for Jarius. He's sitting there going, yeah, my, my daughter's dying. Can we get in there and heal her? We're so close. We can hear this story later. She's already been healed. And as she's finishing her story, here comes the leader or the, 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 the servant of the leader of the synagogue. And he goes, Jarius, trouble the master no longer. Your daughter is dead. Well, what great bedtime manner you've got, buddy. Your daughter's dead. No point in trying anymore. 
And Jesus looks at Jairus and says, I'm so sorry I blew it. I wanted to hear the story. I thought we had more time. I apologize. And he walks away. No, 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 no. He looks at Jairus and says, fear not, only believe. And he walks in and does the greater miracle. He doesn't heal her of a sickness. He raises her from the dead. And I tell you all that to tell you this. Jesus does not operate by reacting to his world around him. No, no, no. He responds to his world around him. Whatever the situation is, he responds to it. He doesn't panic. He responds, and he always responds in peace. Here's another story. Lazarus is taken sick. The word has come to the disciples that he's about to die. And Jesus says, we got to get there right now. No, no, no. He says, okay, well, we'll just sit here for a couple days. And three days later, after he's dead, he says, hey, let's go. Lazarus is sleeping. And the disciples go, well, if he's sleeping, that's good. He's sick. No, 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 he's dead. Oh, well, then why are we still here? And he doesn't run over there. No, 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 he walks to Bethany. And here comes Martha out, and she says, why are you here? You're too late. If you had just been here earlier, he'd be fine. And Jesus, he says, what are you talking about? Have you no faith? And he says, roll away the stone, and no one wants to do it. Because they're like, well, he's dead. He stinks. Do you want him to be alive or not, you know? And he comes out. Lazarus, come forth. There's chuckle in the audience. Lazarus, come forth. Couldn't it be more creative than that, Jesus, you know? And here comes the dead guy out of the tomb, and they take off his grave clothes. And they all tell him to go shower before they hug him, you know? But the point is, hey, Jesus never panicked. He was always responding in peace. I tell you, I'm afraid that the biggest hindrance to our world today is Christians who don't respond to the world around them, but rather just react with the world around them. They're just constantly reacting to what everybody else is reacting about rather than responding the way that God wants them to respond. Uh, I'm thankful for uh, the emergency response team. That's the team that answers the phone when you call 911. 911, what's your mercy? Yeah, my, my, my house is on fire. Okay, are you out of the house? Yeah, yeah, I'm out of the house. Is anybody else in the house? No, I got the kids out, but my dog is in the house, and I really want to go save my dog. Okay, well, hey, you know, we've already got a unit on the way. Let's just stay as far away from the house. What's your dog's name? My dog's name's Sparky. Okay, Sparky's going to be just fine. We've got a unit already there. Their estimated time is about 10 minutes, or they're going to be there very quickly. Don't go near the house. Stay away from the house as far as you can. Okay, they help you respond to the crisis that's going on. Could you just imagine with me for a moment if instead of the emergency response team, they were the emergency react team? 911, what's your mercy? Yeah, my house is on fire. No way! This is the third house in flames today. Are you out of the house? Yeah, I'm out of the house, but my dog Sparky's in the house. Go get him! Go get Sparky! You don't let that dog die. That's on you, lady, you know. I want to be very helpful. That would be unhelpful. Can I just tell you, Jesus has left us here to be the response team, and yet sadly, so many times he gets the react team. 
and we pour more fire on the fuel of fear. We put more chaos into our already chaotic world, and we just, we're almost worse than anybody. We, we almost react worse than anybody. Hey, where are the people who are willing to respond to the chaos around them by pointing them to the calm nature of our Savior who died on a cross? Hey, there's a reason our world is in chaos. They don't know the story of the cross. They don't know the story. They are restless inside because they don't have peace inside. They, the restlessness on the outside is a product of their restlessness on the inside. And so when they wake up Jesus, while it may not have been their intention, it was at that moment that they stopped focusing on what they could do and they started focusing on the one who could, and the only one who could calm the storm. And Jesus wakes up. Okay, he wakes up. That's not in there. I added that. I, I added that. And he rebukes the wind. He says, peace be still in the book of Mark. And the Bible says here in our text, and there was a calm. A calm. How many of you could use some calm in your life right now? Oh, yeah. I think we all could. Hey, I know where to find it. He says, all ye that are burdened and heavy laden, come unto me and I will give you rest. Take, take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You want a peaceful life, Christian? It comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. It comes from being grounded in the fact that even in the storm, Jesus is at peace. There's no panic button in heaven this morning. The angels aren't running around screaming because God forgot about America. I don't know. God knows exactly where we're at. He knows exactly what's going on. Not just in America. He knows what's happening in your house. He knows what's going on in your heart. And he has a work he wants to do in you. Would you be still enough to hear it? Would you quiet the noise around you enough to hear that still, small voice of God that's speaking calm in the midst of chaos? A reminder of his presence, a reminder of his posture, but then notice finally a reminder of his purpose. God has a purpose for every storm we go through. And when the storm on the Sea of Galilee arose that night, the disciples did what they knew. They, uh, they fought the storm. They issued their protocols to try to get out of the storm. They tried to keep the boat together. They would have been familiar with these storms. They would have had uh, things that they would have tried to do to save themselves. But things that night went quickly from bad to worse to hopeless. And they wake up Jesus, of course, the only one who's able to fix the storm. And he calms it. He calms the sea with a word. You know, storms have the... Uh, have a funny way of reminding us that we are insufficient. <laughs> they have a funny way of reminding us that our talents, our gifts, our experiences are not enough. The best that we can do is make things worse. <laughs> and Jesus wakes up and with a word calms the sea. And Jesus then turns around in that boat and what does he see? Not a trick question. What does he see as he turns around in that boat? 
Well, he sees the chaos of his disciples, right? He sees uh, Peter soaking in water, holding a bucket, right? He sees Thomas swimming for the shore, right? <laughs> like, he, he sees the disciples, John and James, the sons of thunder, you know? I picture them down in the boat. They're trying to hold it down to the water, you know? And perhaps when the, the, the calm happened, they flipped out of the boat. And they're kind of like hanging on the side, hairs soaking wet. And now there's calm. There's complete calm. The, the waters are still. And Jesus is looking at these disciples and he says, where is your faith? What an interesting question. He doesn't say, why don't you have faith? He doesn't question if they had faith. He questions the location of their faith. In other words, they had faith that night. They just didn't have it in him. Their faith was in what they could do. Their faith was in their abilities. Their faith was in their experience. And Jesus looks at them and goes, hey, where's your faith? Who are you trusting in? Who are you depending in? In the storms of life, who are you going to rely on? Upon, listen, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves. Our sufficiency is of God, 2 Corinthians tells us. Our sufficiency is on him. Without me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. Listen, we desperately need Jesus. We desperately need him for salvation. We desperately need him for sanctification. And we definitely, desperately need him for the storms of life. This question of where our faith is, is vitally important for every single one of us to consider this morning. Who are you trusting in for eternal life today? You trust in what you can do? You trust in your efforts? You trust in your abilities, your good works, your baptismal testimony? Or are you trusting in the sinless son of God dying on a cross to save you of your sin? I tell you, only one gets you to heaven. Only one makes you right with God. Who are you trusting in during these storms? You trusting in what you can do? Are you, are you trusting in, in a doctor? Are you trusting in this or that? It's not to say that these things aren't necessary. It's not to say that these things should just be completely avoided. But the far better resource that we have available to us as a Christian is Jesus. That's where our dependency must be. It must be rooted in Jesus Christ. And I love the disciples because their answer, he says, where is thy faith? And in verse 20, uh, no, I'm sorry, in the same verse, verse number 25, Jesus said to them, where is your faith? And they being afraid wondered, saying one to another, what manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and the water, and they obey him. You know what they're saying right there? They're saying, you know what? If Jesus can calm the raging sea, then he can calm the storm in me. If Jesus can do that, then he can take care of anything I need. He, he, he can take care of any of my troubles. I can cast all my care upon him because I know he cares for me. Listen, at the end of the day, Jesus does not just want us to discuss faith. He doesn't just want us to come to church and talk about it every week. 
No, no, no. Jesus wants us to develop faith. He wants to build our faith. He wants to grow our faith. And can I tell you, the only way that faith can be grown is through the storm. My walk with God, my, my relationship with God, my family's relationship with God has been built, has been grown, has increased far more in the valleys of life than ever on the mountaintops. I have learned more about my God through the storms than I ever had when the seas were calm. Storms are meant, they're designed to grow your faith. So can I just just plead with you this morning? Don't waste your storm. Don't, Don't spend the whole time wishing it was over. Don't spend the whole time trying to think about what, what's going to happen when you get out. No, no, no. Relish the storm and say, okay, God, what can I learn through the storm? Because when I come out of this, I want to come out looking more like you. When I come out of this, I want to be refined because you know the way that I take. And when you have tried me, I shall come forth as gold. And so, God, I want to be refined. I want to be tried through the storm. I want you to wash away the parts of my life that don't look like you. I want you to grow me in this storm. And, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I know that you do. And, God, I don't, I don't see how it's all going to work out, but I know you've got me in the palm of your hand. And, God, I can't see what you're working on behind the curtain, but I'm trusting that you are working behind the curtain on my behalf. And I know that all things work together for good to them that love you and to them that are called according to the purpose of God. For who you did foreknow, you also did predestinate to be conformed into the image of God. And so you say, God, I know that the ultimate good you're trying to do in my life through the storms is to make me, to conform me, to mold me into who you want me to be, into who you need me to be. And that's the picture of your son, Jesus. And so God, send the storm. Send the storm. A number of years ago, at a New Year's resolution service, a New Year's Eve service, the question was asked, what are you asking God to do in your life this year? I stupidly wanted to have a spiritual answer. And so I rose my hand and I said, I'm asking God to try my faith this year. I thought that was a a spiritual answer. Lord, try my faith. That year, our son Logan was born with Down syndrome. Completely unexpected. Uh, Happened February 9th. About a month after. Lord, try my faith. I tell you, throughout that experience, throughout that heartache of wondering if our son was going to be all right, throughout that heartache of uh, checking, we did 53 doctor appointments in the first year, going to check his heart, going to check his ears, going to check his uh, thyroid and all this other stuff. And they had to test his blood every other month to make sure that he hasn't developed uh, leukemia. About 50% of children with Down syndrome will develop leukemia in the first year of life. Man, throughout every single one of those doctor appointments, I remember asking, God, what are you doing? God, what are you doing? And it was like every time as we came out of the doctor appointment and there was like nothing wrong, his ears were fine, his heart was fine. It was like God was just kind of like, I'm trying your faith. 
Remember how you wanted me to do that? Hey, I'm trying your faith, Eric. I tell you, I don't think I had ever prayed as much as I had prayed in that year. I don't think I had spent ever the amount of time I had spent with my wife on our knees praying together to God than we had ever done before. It was through the storm that our relationship with God grew. It was through the storm that our relationship with God increased, that our faith was built. It was tested, it was tried, and we came out stronger. And I say now, my son, two and a half years old, I'm thankful for Down syndrome. It has taught our family how to love. It has taught our family how to have compassion. It has taught our family how to be kind. But it's also shown us who our God is, and it's shown us the value of life no matter what that person looks like. It's made me a better father as I've taught my other son how to intentionally be kind to people who are different than him. It's increased my witness as I've been thrown into a community that's very tight-knit. And I've had opportunities to meet people all across this country through a Facebook group called Down Syndrome Diagnosis Net Network. And we'll meet up for lunch with couples who also have kids with Down Syndrome. And we'll have play dates with kids that also have Down Syndrome. And we have sat and shared the gospel. And we've seen multiple families come to know Christ because of our son. My son, Logan, has done more for the gospel than I ever would. Listen, the storms are worth it. They teach us how to be like Jesus. They grow us into who God needs us to be. So don't waste the storm. Instead, ask God, what are you trying to get out of the boat so that I can fully realize that you are in the boat? Because that's really what we need to be encouraged by this morning. Jesus is in the boat. Whatever storm you're in, he's there, he's at peace, and he is working on your behalf. Lord, we thank you for the storms. I thank you for the story in scripture. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us develop and deepen our faith during our storms of life. Lord, as life is perhaps stripped away, I, Lord, I don't know if, if things are getting back to normal or not, to be honest with you. But Lord, I pray that, that this season of, of life that we are in has revealed to us the things that we perhaps lean on and trust in, depend in, to bring us joy and satisfaction other than you. Lord, I pray that, that as everything perhaps around us changes because of a particular storm we're in, that Lord, we would continue to run to the God who's in control and who never changes. That Lord, we would see you as constant, that we would see you as calm, in the midst of chaos. Lord, may we continue to develop a deeper walk with you. May we develop a deeper desire to know what you say, to know what it means, and to know how you desire us to live in this day, in our culture, as Lord, we want to draw all men unto you. And Lord, we want to be molded into your image. We want to look more like you, Jesus. And so Lord, I pray that we would remember that we remember these things from the storm. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, and there's not going to be a, a come forward invitation or anything like that this morning. But as you normally do, as the piano's playing, perhaps the Lord's given you something to think about this morning. Perhaps he's given you something that just very specifically 
encouraged you, reminded you about? Perhaps this morning you've been kind of reacting and the Lord said, no, 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 I want you to slow down and respond. I mean, I just challenge you in this moment as the piano plays, would you, would you bring that before the Lord and say, God, I need your help to respond the way you want me to respond because my flesh wants to respond this way. My heart wants to respond this way. And so as the piano plays, perhaps what we need to do is just spend some time and say, God, I don't want to waste the storm. I've spent too long wishing it was over. I spent too long trying to get out of the boat. But Lord, you're in the boat. You're, you're, you're trying to do something in that boat. And so, Lord, would you teach me? Would you mold me? Would you help me become more like you? Pastor Mendoza will come. He'll close our service the way that the Holy Spirit leads him. But as the piano plays, I challenge you, would you meet with God this morning if he's spoken to your heart? This morning, we thank you for your word that was given to us in a time of need. We thank you, Father, that you are the God of peace and the God of purpose. And as we've been challenged today by, by your word to trust, to follow, to have real faith, I pray that you would help us to now live that out. So many areas today we were taught about and challenged from. Areas of attitude, areas of action, but the areas of just growth. And so, Father, I pray that as we were reminded today what we need to do in a storm and think about in a storm and look to in a storm. I pray that that would not just be knowledge in our head, but that it would be something we practice and live out this week. Father, help us to, to share with others the truths that we are learning. Even as we are challenged this morning, even as the disciples confess, what manner of man is this? Father, may we share that with others. May we take the opportunity and the opportunities this week to share that with others. And so, Father, I pray, fill us with your spirit, empower us by your spirit to do just that. I ask this in Jesus' precious name.